Join us today during the Jeep Celebration event. Right now, get 20% below MSRP for an average of $15,178 under MSRP on the purchase of a 2023 Jeep Grand Cherokee Overland 4xe or Summit 4xe. Not compatible with lease offers or with any other consumer incentive offers. 15,178 average based on 20% below average MSRP from all 2023 Grand Cherokee Overland 4xE and Summit 4xE models in dealer stock. Residency restrictions apply. Take retail delivery from dealer stock by 4-1. Jeep is a registered trademark. Kansas. Well, I'm sitting here with a linguist. I had a linguist. no idea. <laughs> I love I didn't that. know you were an but I didn't know that you were a wordsmith. <laughs> Call Jiggy right now. 267 22 Jiggy. Hey, Jiggy, what's happening, man? You want to be that uh, David Bowie song? Jiggy Play Guitar. Jeff. It's a great name, man. Thanks so much for having me on the show. Presenting. I'm, I'm Mike Massey, and uh, you know, you can catch me on Jiggy Jag TV and uh, see a few of my trick shots there. Thank you very much. Jiggy Jaguar. I never knew what freedom was until I saw you lose yours. Welcome to a fabulous, fabulous edition of the World Famous Jiggy Jaguar Radio Broadcast today. Uh, Don Mazella is still under the weather. He will not be joining us today here on our program. We send our best wishes out to Don for a speedy recovery. And uh, I know we've got a good show with us today. Uh, we are going to go to the Skype. We have... Uh, I want to read, read okay. Then IQ. Go to Zimbabwe. There's, there's IQ Al Rizzoli. He sounds like he's yeah. already fired up. We've got uh, Dan Perkins on the line as well. and uh, yes, we, I'm, I'm responsible for firing him up. <laughs> well, hey, you know, I, I love it. It's it's the last show of the year, so uh, we're going to be doing yep. a, re- a review of the, of, of the year here today with our featured expert. He's a conservative political columnist. Lawrence Fedwa, he is a Washington Times conservative political writer. He's a uh, uh, commentator, conservative on uh, social issues, political views of the day, former businessman, technology executive, college president. He lives uh, on an Arabian horse farm near Washington, D.C., and the good doctor is the author of more than 100 Washington Times online columns. He is known as an early... Basically, an early interpreter of the Donald Trump phenomena, as well as uh, fiscal, uh, racial, and religious trends. He he has all sorts of uh, knowledge. He's a sharp critic on the Obama administration. He writes for the average person who does not have the time or resources to delve deeply into topics such as the current election, American schools, social trends. He's become a trusted voice for many fans seeking analysis of the recent election. He's with us today here on our big broadcast. Uh, Doctor, welcome to our broadcast how are you sir doctor can you hear me doctor can you hear me my friend i'm not sure what's going on there with his line it says he's says he's here with us well we'll we'll work on it um let's start with with dan um what in your opinion was the biggest story uh, news, politics, pop culture, everything of the new year uh, for uh, for 2017? There's only one answer, Jim. <laughs> only one answer. <laughs> and that is? I mean, uh, the loss of Hillary Clinton. Yes. You thought I was going to say Donald Trump, didn't you? Yes, no. I thought you were going to the say... Biggest, the, the, biggest <laughs> story, the biggest story is that, that Hillary Clinton supposedly had the nomination and the presidency locked up. She was entitled... She asked the question, why am I not up by 50 points? And she lost her ass, and she got her ass whipped. She didn't get beat. She got her whipped. Yes. She lost 2,500 to 3,000 out of the 3,100 counties in the United States. Some are rejection of her, the Democratic Party. Trump, interesting story, may turn out to be the story of the decade of the century or the history of our country. But right now, the most significant event was that Hillary Clinton is gone and so is Bubba, never, <laughs> so is never Bubba. to to disgrace our country again. IQ, uh, you, oh. you, your your thoughts on this? Oh, I think we thought we were being joined by yeah. back back here by the doctor. Doctor, um, right. well, give us give us your thoughts on Dan's analysis there, and, and and some of the different things going on, and what was, in your opinion, the biggest story of of the year. Well, I think that the uh, basic issue 
that he raises is very valid. Uh, but I think it, it could be even a little broader than than Hillary Clinton herself. She, uh, I think, stood stood for the entire uh, established uh, way of doing federal business since uh, 1948. And uh, even though she listed to the left. Uh, nevertheless, uh, the fact that she was overturned meant that we were going to get uh, a whole new ball game. And uh, those those of us who have been asking for a business uh, business approach to government, uh, we're going to get it. Yeah, Doctor, I, w- I would agree with you. I I think that also uh, there's a backstory that is not obviously not going to be covered by the mainstream media. But there's an important backstory, and that is that over the eight-year term of the of the first black president, the Democratic Party, in terms of state houses, state government, city, county, and federal, has turned into a very small minority party, and. Um, made up primarily of radical people on the left, um, serial politicians, and um, people who are in love with the concept of political correctness and uh, the elites. And that is not mainstream America. And mainstream America rejected that and has been rejecting it for the last eight years. Um, And and I think that that, that's that's a backstory that is not just in 2016, it was being developed over the eight years that he was president. Yeah, you have to add the rich on Wall Street, too. They were... Uh, oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. I mean, it, it, I'm a, by profession, I'm a registered investment advisor and managing money independently for 43 years. And I looked at, and I think these numbers are, are pretty close. The Wall Street bankers gave Hillary tens of millions of dollars for her campaign. They gave, last number I saw was $15,000 to Trump. So they bet heavily on Hillary, as many other traditional organizations bet very heavily on Hillary, both domestically and internationally, and she didn't win. And the devastation was just amazing, and what we're seeing is people trying to figure out how do they save their ass under a Trump administration? And I don't think he's going to let them. Yeah, the irony is that Wall Street uh, bankrolled Hillary, but when Trump won, they went into the, the great uh, Trump <laughs> Trump wave of uh, of uh, almost uh, twenty thousand uh, dollars, twenty thousand points. <laughs> yeah. Oh yeah, they were they were they were predicting before the election that if if Trump were going to be elected, um, that uh, the stock market would collapse, the economy would go in in the biggest recession since the Depression, all of these prognostications, which never happened. And uh, I was uh, with you, an, an earlier adopter, literally back to the day he first ra- uh, announced he was running for president. I believe then, and I believe now, he had the message that the American people were looking for. And it's amazing to me to this day that a man of his exceedingly immense risk, uh, riches uh, connected with the common man. I, I think that that's a fascinating yeah. story, and there's yeah, probably going to be a lot about written out going forward. There's there's a secret to that, though. Even though he's a billionaire, he he spent his his youth and much of his adulthood out there on the property sites with the guys that were driving the trucks and hauling the hauling the cement and uh, building the buildings and he knew how to talk to them because he had learned from being a young youngster and how to, uh, in fact he actually had to work on those crews when he was a kid and I believe uh, doctor he did the same thing with his children the the two yes, boys and, and Ivanka all of them worked in the business as grunts they didn't just get handed the business on their own The other thing that I've, I've been talking about, Doctor, is that yes. uh, I believe that Mr. Trump has, if you look at his cabinet appointments, he is creating what I'm calling America Incorporated. 
And when you oh, said earlier we've been waiting since FDR for a business person, I think what we're going to see is that the cabinet officers are not going to do anything what we've seen in the past as far as bureaucracy. I think, for example, he is hiring Governor Perry to go into the Department of Energy and blow it up and get rid of it. I think he's the person he's putting in charge of education. Put yourself out of business. Bring education back to the states. So I think that these men and women who are in these positions are going to try and find ways to operate the government more efficiently with less money and less resources and still deliver a quality product. I think it's, an, it's going to be an exciting time, and the liberal, ultra-liberal left doesn't understand how important that America, the business of America is business. And finally, for a long time, in my 70 years, we now have a president who understands that. Well, the interesting thing is that he's created a citizen, a citizen government, which is exactly the way the the, uh, the, the uh, forefathers were. You know, they were lawyers and farmers and everything but politicians. They, they couldn't be politicians because they didn't have a country. But right. now the, the citizens are taking over again. We've got a, uh, a really great panel today. We have a, a, a fantastic, fantastic guest with us today. Lawrence Fedwa is a Washington Times conservative political writer. He is also a national columnist, Ph.D. in social psychology, former owner of a federal contracting firm for 23 years, and a former college professor, dean, and president. He's with us today here in our broadcast, along with Dan Perkins, who uh, is a best-selling author, also uh our good friend, the world traveler himself, IQ Al Rizzoli. And um, IQ, sitting back and listening to, to the doctor and Dan here talk, um, g- give me your thoughts on, on, on kind of what, what they've been talking about and, and some of the different things I know that we've been talking about with you over the year. May I have a few seconds of my own time? Yes. Because I want Go, to IQ. give a goodbye to Obama. <laughs> okay, go, IQ. <laughs> because Obama recently said that he would have won a third term. Obama is a legend in his own mind. He truly believes that he would have won against Trump, saying Hillary did not articulate the democratic message strongly enough. I ask, really, Barack Obama? More taxes, more illegals, more law-breaking, less jobs, less guns, more crime, more government control, and more selling of America down the drain is not articulate enough. Barack, let me enlighten you. Hillary lost because she actually articulated your eight years message through through and through loud and clear. Hillary lost because of you, Barack. Americans have had enough of you. During eight years, miserable, divisive, and hopeless years, and had no intention of giving you a third term in the guise of Hillary. Barack, how can you explain? Since you became president, the Democrats lost 63 House seats, 10 Senate seats, 14 governorships, and according to the Associated Press, a total of 1,030 spots in state legislature, governor's mentions, and Congress lost by Democrats during your presidency. Barack, I had repeatedly and unceasingly addressed you as the mulatto Muslim traitor-in-chief in the White House. I was correct for eight years. And Barack, you have proven and confirmed my assertion by your support of 57 Muslim states and the betrayal of Israel in the United Nations. Back to you, sir. <laughs> you know, Dan uh, and, and Doctor, I, I, I have been trying to get IQ to come out of his shell the entire year. <laughs> let me uh, let me let me ask the doctor if if I might, Jim. Ask yes, the doctor. Yes, go go, Dan. Because go. Of, be, because of his background, um, I, I, I write for the Hill, the Daily Caller, Reagan Baby, the Daily Surge, Clash Daily, and uh, and who knows who else. But I write a lot of, of political commentary and current events commentary. And I've been saying for some period of time that um, I was alive when Jimmy Carter was president of the United States. 
and uh, I was old enough to be uh, aware of what was going on. And I saw how one man in the White House took down the entire country. Jimmy Carter told us to turn down our thermostats, put on sweaters, don't light our Christmas trees because we're not going to light the national tree in order to conserve energy because we had no freaking energy policy and we let the, the, the Middle Eastern cartel, which had supplying 65% of our oil needs, uh, we, we were stuck with them. Uh, we had incredibly high interest rates, very high inflation, and the mood of the country was absolutely incredibly negative. And then we had hostages in Tehran, and a hostage rescue mission that failed, which brought us even further down. But when Ronald Reagan was announced, that was announced that he was the winner of the presidency, Within a matter of days, the entire country psychologically changed. They believed that there was going to be hope and change. And Reagan brought about that change. He put people back to work. He made the economy grow. When Bush came in and we had the tremendous 9-11 and then followed by the, the housing collapse, Barack Obama came in and said, that he was the man of hope and change. And we had a very scary time at the end of the Bush administration, yet people desperately wanted Mr. Obama to succeed. And here we are, again, eight years later, the psychological attitude of America has changed. Um, Rasmussen issued a poll today that 51% of the respondents reported favorable to Mr. Trump, 81% of the people thought that 2017 may in fact be a great year for them that they've had not had in a long time. So what I'm interested in, doctor, is how important is that psychology of the common man and the influence of the psychology important in the election process? Well, it's very important, obviously, but then it has to be followed up by by results, and uh, you know Reagan Reagan ran into problems in his uh, first and second year, mainly because of uh, Paul Volcker, I guess. But uh, uh, it was only because the uh, the uh, policies that he and Volcker actually uh, uh, advocated that allowed things to really start turning around, and so by 1984. We were on a high, we were on a high, high roller uh, uh, approach to uh, to our economy and to everything else, and I think the same thing is true of Trump. Uh, he, I think the enthusiasm that people have right now and the optimism gives him the opportunity to get some things done that are really way overdue. However, he's going to have to do them, and that uh, is is the big challenge. And of course, that's what. What uh, what we're all waiting to see, but I'm certainly impressed with the beginning. Anyway, he done more yeah, since think... he got elected than uh, than Obama did in the first three years. Yeah, right. I agree, Doctor. Let me let me follow up with another question on on, on a similar vein. Um, because if we look at what's going on, what happened in England, what's happened in France, uh, what's going on in Germany, what happened in Italy. Um, it, is, it seems to be a common thread around the world, at least in the Western world, where the average citizen is rejecting the political correctness and the lack of assimilation and the, uh, the, the pouring in of immigrants from other nations that are putting their country at risk. It's, um, some people are afraid of it. So I'm not. I, I think the idea that... That the, the thing that really caused the problem in Britain with the common people was that Brussels, the bureaucrats in Brussels, who were not elected by anybody in Britain, were telling the Brits they had to change 60% of their laws to comply to the EU. 
And I think that the British people thought that they were losing their country. And I have a son who's married to a young lady of Irish descent, and they go back to Ireland fairly regularly to visit her family back there. And they think their country's being destroyed by the Muslim immigration, how they're trying to change the laws and uh, turn Ireland into a Muslim country. Uh, this, this, this rebirth of nationalism around the world, uh, is that a rejection of the elites and the political correctness and the politicians around the world? I, that, that's uh, very controversial, as you know. Uh, Fareed uh, Zakaria wrote a uh, column that uh, I, in fact, I'm, gonna, I'm responding to uh, this next week. And he said it, he called it the rise of populism throughout the Western world. Um, I think there's some truth to that, but it's not populism. Well, then ultimately he, he uh, lays the whole uh, phenomenon at the feet of immigration. And, uh, and, and I really think that's closer to the truth. I don't think that, that populism, the way we understand it in the United States, as being the uh, smaller government and the uh, uh, more frugal, uh, uh, more frugal care of uh, of the uh, national tax dollars and so on. Uh, I don't, I don't, I don't think that is really what's driving Europe. I think, I think he's right in the sense that uh, what's driving Europe really is a migration of of half the Middle East to uh, to Europe. And I don't think that's the problem here. We do have a problem, but it's nothing like they have in Germany. Uh, so while I think that there are similarities, uh, I, I think there are a lot of differences too. And but, but let me let me let me let me I don't like to see our I don't like to see our uh, our um, uh, terrific uh, political uh, upheaval here in the United States trivialized by. Saying that it's oh it's just uh, it's, uh, it's the same thing in Europe and it's the same thing in South America, I don't believe that. I think it's very but, uniquely American. Uh, I understand what your your point of view, and I certainly appreciate your point of view. But I want to I, I want to challenge you just a little bit. Um, while we don't have the problem that Europe has with the mass migration of the Middle East, what we do have is for a number of years, much greater number of people coming from the southern border of Hispanic descent and people coming in from all over the world through the southern border, uh, freely streaming with with very little and diminishing and diminishing betting and control. And we've created uh, many more times the number of people coming into this country and being in here illegally than have come in in the last two to three years on the Muslim migration. Well, we're allowed so may not, to. Uh, go ahead. I'm I, sorry. I, I, I don't. I don't deny that we have. We indeed have an immigration problem, but I don't think that's really the source of the revolt of the American electorate. I think you you were on. Uh, you were on a better. You were on a better uh, uh, opinion when you were first talking about the uh, rejection of. The uh, big government and the racism and the uh, disruption that was caused by the Obama administration. And, but I, and let me also admit that I think that the fundamental problem is, is uh, whatever the cause, the result has been a very, very lax economy. And that really started with the, uh, in the Bush administration. And I think that that, that it's fundamentally, for Americans anyway, I think it's fundamentally an, an, an economic problem. I think if you get people that are poor and that they're unemployed and underemployed, they're very unhappy people. But if you right. start getting people uh, good wages and they start making a good living again, uh, I don't think they have time to be uh, running around in a lot of demonstrations and uh, and uh, uproaring uh, Oh yeah, uh, turning cars and such. I I I believe you hit that right on the head. Um, before before we go back to Dan, um, IQ, um, 
I know that, and and the doctor and Dan both bring up uh, Germany. Uh, what, what what do you make of uh, what's going on in Germany and the chances of Merkel possibly being reelected? And then we'll go back. Uh, then we'll get Dan's thoughts and uh, the uh, the doctor's thoughts on that. But I, IQ, I know that you talk about Merkel on this broadcast a lot, so I'm sure you've probably got an opinion. <laughs> I would like to address what the doctor was saying. Yes, yes. I disagree ahead. that immigration in America is not counted into the equation. The Muslim immigration in America is making a huge impact. Just watch what CARE is doing every single day, taking people to court every time they have something to speak about Islam. There are Sharia courts in the United States of America. This is against the American Constitution. I agree with him. The majority of Americans are upset because they are underemployed or unemployed. But 11 to 13 million, I don't know the numbers, the numbers coming from America, of illegal immigrants are draining also the facilities the finances, the health service, the education service. This is a replica in a minor state, I agree, because America is 330 million people and maybe a few 11 to 12 million illegal immigrants. But it is the same thing that's happening in Europe. In Europe, Angela Merkel allowed 1.1 million in her country and 200,000 in the other countries. And then she said, I want to share them with you. Well, she's not going to be elected, I'll tell you that. In 2017, God willing, my prediction that many, if not most, of the left-wing socialist leaderships will be removed from office. And after that, they will have to address the Muslim populations that they have and the illegals that they have. It's not going to be a good uh, year in the sense of social, uh, there will be social upheaval. That's my prediction. Look, I live in Europe. A lot of people are angry. The men in the women and women in the state, not the elite. The elite are completely and clueless, just like Hillary, Hillary Clinton and the Democrats. They are not in touch with the people. That's why they lost. The same thing, I, the elite in Europe. They are not in touch with the people, and they're going to lose. Back to you. Aki, let me ask you, let me follow up with that with a question. Um... I, I can't speak to the accuracy of what I'm about to say. It's, it, it is a feeling of what I've read in the foreign press, not in the U.S. press, but in the foreign press, that the attack in the Christmas market in Berlin by the terrorists and the, the murder of a number and injuring of people, it's, it seems to me, and again, it, I'm, I'm making this as, a, as an observation, it seems to me that that particular event in in and in a, in a, in a year ago, I was in uh, Germany and I took a cruise, a Christmas market cruise, down the Main River from uh, uh, from uh, Viking cruises and uh, went into all these wonderful towns, these the river towns. Uh, it's a very important tradition, both socially and economically, and in Germany, and I wondered whether or not this uh, this attack on this Christmas market in Berlin was a catalyst that uh, that may be turning uh, many Germans against the, the government. And I wonder what role terrorism will play in Germany. Um, what role it will play. Uh, if it continues before the election in the impact of not only Angela Merkel, but the rest of the of her cabinet and, and officers. Then I get emails from all over Europe because they know IQRS really, they know what my mission is. This attack, although it killed only a few people compared to, to France, it was the, uh, the proverbial uh, straw that broke the camel's back. The yes. German people were infinitely more shocked with this attack than what happened in France. Because what happened in France was in France. This was another one similar to France, which shows that a Muslim doesn't need a machine gun. They don't need machetes. They don't need guns. They use a truck, they use a car and kill people. And you cannot tell which one is a peaceful Muslim and which one is a jihadi Muslim. I asked one in my, when I talked with some people, 
I said, supposing you have a hundred Muslims coming in, but you know for a certainty, ten of them or five of them are potential mass murderers belonging to ISIS. What will you do? Every single one of them said, I will not allow them in. It's not unreasonable. You cannot tell a jihadi from a non-jihadi. The one who murdered, the police officer who murdered the the ambassador in in uh, in Turkey. Turkey. He was beautifully yeah. dressed, westernized, clean shaven. Not one of those bearded ones that shouting Allahu Akbar. He was shouting Allahu Akbar also. But he wasn't the type that you would say, oh, he looks like a terrorist. So how do we differentiate? The doctor was talking about America is not being affected very much. But in Minnesota, where you have a huge community of Somalis, many of them have registered to go to, to fight for, for ISIS. And the Somalis in Minnesota are causing a lot of trouble in Minnesota. These are not my figures. These are not my statistics. These are statistics coming from the FBI and the police. Muslims will never integrate in America. Muslims will never integrate in any society which is not Islamic. In fact, Muslims, they cannot even integrate among other Muslims. That's why they're murdering each other. Back to you, sir. Well, doctor, uh, follow up there on IQ's points, and then we'll let Dan jump in and, uh, and give his commentary. Well, I, I do not dispute that we have a, uh, an immigration problem that has many uh, different uh, uh, aspects to it, including both economic and uh, cultural. However, um, I don't believe that that was the uh, motivating factor for the uh, political uh, revolution. Or it's almost a revolution that we found uh, in, in the American electorate this past uh, fall. I believe that it was, it was the uh, fact that we've had such a very poor economy and a lot of people uh, are out of work and they're or they're looking for work, or they're taking work, uh, three or four jobs to make as much as they uh, did in one job before, and so on. Yep. Now, th it's true that, that the uh, illegal immigration has had an impact on that, but it's also true that legal immigration has had uh, a very positive effect uh, on the economy. So, I think that the, that the preoccupation of most of the Trump uh, voters was not so much, they, they don't want, they, they feel very strongly about limiting immigration and closing the border, but they also feel pretty strongly about getting rid of all these uh, uh, rich uh, politicians who stay there for 40 years and uh, decide to, uh, everything is going to happen in, in our neighborhood. Uh, I think it was a truly uh, a, a monumental assertion of the uh, of the middle Americans, the so-called silent majority that has been uh, sitting on the sidelines now for the last uh, 20 years. But, doctor, with all due respect, without J Donald J. Trump, those people would have sunk down and Hillary Clinton would have won. There's absolutely no, no doubt whatsoever in my mind. It was yeah, one no man. Question. Exactly I, what I Dan Perker said. It you. took one man to change the whole of United States of America. That's Donald Trump. Well, yes, Doctor, yes I, and no. I, I mean, you have to remember the uh, Tea Party was the uh, predecessor of that whole movement. And, uh, but I, I agree with you. I, I agree that uh, Trump was uh, the man of the hour and probably nobody else could have done it. Right. Doctor, I would, I would also say to you, again, as I said, I, IQ said, a man of your credentials, uh, I am not. Uh, I'm not uh, attacking you. I'm giving you my observation as somebody who's been involved with this for uh, a number of decades. Um, when 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 we made the decision as a country that we were no longer going to allow and require assimilation of foreign nationals coming into our country. That decision, in my opinion, is when we began to lose the country. Doctor, it offends me when I pick up the phone to call somebody and they tell me the voice message says, plus one for English, press two for Spanish. Yep. 
English is the language of this country. And I think when I walk into a Home Depot and I see signs that are in English and Spanish, when I went into a Walmart store here before Christmas and I asked a woman for some help to trying to find something, she could not speak English. It seems to me that as, as Michael Savage, it's language, it's border, and it's culture. And I understand that we are the melting pot of the world. But if I look at the concept of the melting pot, you put in different metals and they forge together to create a new. We're not requiring these immigrants. When they come in and Homeland Security takes them off the border and dumps them into a city and doesn't tell the city that they're dumping 500 or 1,000 people in their city, and they have to fend for themselves. How can we have a country when millions of people don't speak the language, are not even required to speak the language? What kind of a country do we have when we can't communicate because we are in one of the public schools, uh, one of the public universities, I read recently that there are 85 different languages being spoken in the university because the university didn't want, wanted to be politically correct and not require everybody to speak English. Jesus. I'm not embarrassed that my country's language is English and that I want everybody to learn it as best they can. Well, I, I certainly, uh, I certainly agree with with uh, with your uh, your observations as well as your uh, sentiments, uh, and I'm I'm certainly not. Uh, uh, arguing that the uh, immigration, uh, particularly unlimited and undisciplined immigration that we have had in the past 20 years, has not had a, a significant impact and still does. And and in fact, we don't know how this how this story is going to end. Yeah. Uh, and I agree with you. Uh, language language is culture, and and culture is values. Mm -hmm. And if uh, somebody does not, un if they're not obliged to learn enough of the language to uh, be uh, communicate, then uh, not only are they going to be not, uh, they're not going to be uh, useful to our country, but they're also, they're also going to be economically depressed, and therefore they're they're not going to be very sympathetic to uh, to the uh, so-called established uh, values of the United States. There, there, I, I, I have no, I have no objection to your, uh, to your line of thinking. Uh, the question initially was, uh, are, uh, is the American uh, phenomenon of the Trump phenomenon uh, the same or similar to everything that's happening in Europe? And I, I made the point that I, I, I don't, I don't believe that it is uh, the same. I think it's, it's far, far more uh, philosophical and uh, value oriented. Than, uh, than the European experience, which is mostly a reaction against uh, the migration of half the Middle East into Europe. Uh, right. So, but right. that doesn't mean we don't have a, we don't have a significant problem. There's, there's no question right. about it. Jim. Yes. Yes. Can I kind of change it a little bit here and ask the doctor another question? Yes, you go right on ahead, my friend. I'll tell you, I'm learning a heck of a lot here with uh, IQL Rizzoli, Dan Perkins, and our uh, great guest with us today. And, uh, and, and doctor, uh, but before we let Dan ask you the next question, uh, if people want to read your articles or get in touch with you or, or, or uh, pick up any of your work, uh, how do they do that exactly? Where can we guide people to? Well, the the Washington Times uh, is uh, is uh, one uh, the most the, the most direct uh, way. Um, okay. I suppose I, my my website is down right now because we're doing a complete revision. So yes, you might have to depend on uh, LinkedIn or uh, or Twitter, but tw uh, Twitter will get me. <laughs> okay. Okay. 
Whenever somebody tweets, we listen, right? Uh, well, <laughs> apparently so. According to uh, according to Trump, that seems to be the case. Uh, best-selling author Dan Perkins with us today, and IQ Rizzoli. And um, Dan, uh, go ahead and uh, and and jump in there with your next question, my friend. Doctor, just to give you uh, just a quick background, um, I'm seven, almost seventy-two years of age. I was involved in the um, the civil rights movement in Columbus, Ohio, in filing the suit to desegregate the public schools. And I've been actively involved in the civil rights movement uh, for, for maybe 15 years after that. As a, as a college president, I, I would really like to understand your fellow former peers. I look at what Dr. King did and, and how the Civil Rights Act got rid of separate but equal. I am, I am outraged that there are black students in colleges in California, in, in New York, in Connecticut, and other places in the country who want to be segregated, again, away from everybody, not just whites, but Asians, everybody else, Puerto Ricans, Hispanics. They want to they be segregated. And what in the world is going on on the university campuses that we are, we, we have to pr provide safe rooms, we have to limit um, uh, discussion about alternatives and differing opinions, we have to provide segregated housing for black kids. What in the world happened on the college campuses, doctor? Well, I, uh, I wrote a column about this uh, a couple weeks ago um, I'm not sure I have all the I have the answers, but uh, I think I think uh, one of the one of the phenomena that we experienced under the uh, Obama administration is what I call the retribalization of America. Before before this this latest wave of uh, political correctness and uh, and uh, diversifying. Ideology. We had the idea was that even though it's it's true that human beings tend to live in their own tribe, they they tend to seek out people that look like them and speak like them and that they understand. And we had a, we all tolerated that because what we expected in America was that uh, each of the tribes would uh, 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 adhere to a transcendent uh, tribal national uh, set of values, uh, the liberty of human independence, uh, uh, liberty of people, and uh, the rule of law, and, uh, and the, the typical American creed. And that worked for, for many, many years. And when people talked about the melting pot, they didn't mean that, that people ceased being uh, Italian or, or black or white or whatever, but they, they did, ex uh, we did all enforced universally the, the expectation that everybody would live under the same rules and uh, when they interacted with each other. And what happened when uh, Obama came along, he, uh, he, he reinstituted all of this, it's what uh, uh, Rush Limbaugh called uh, the, uh, the uh, retribalization of America. The, Every every group now has is supposed to have its own values, its own language, its own its own identity, and and it's now the function of the federal government to recognize every single one of these tribes as legitimate and as uh, individual and and as separate. And so now what we've got is this this has become the uh, orthodoxy of. Uh, the far left, and the far left, as you know, has uh, in has taken over the universities. All those hippies and those people that we uh, caused all the trouble in the uh, 1960s and 70s, they grew up and got graduate degrees and went into went into the faculty of colleges and, and schools, and now they believe with almost religious fervor that uh, the Obama world is the way it's supposed to be. And when somebody else came along 
and overturned that uh, expectation on the they, they simply went into shock and so now they're trying uh, with more or less violence to uh, reassert the uh, the Obama doctrine of retribalization of America against the uh, the idea of national unity that uh, Mr. Trump and the rest of us I think are uh, trying to um, espouse. That's, that's the only way I can explain it, and I'm not I don't pretend that that's a complete explanation, but I think it does have it does have some uh, resonance. But doctor, I I. Uh I did a piece on theconstitution.com, and I talked in the title of the piece, What Would Martin Luther King Think of His People Today? And I went back to his I Have a Dream at the Abraham Lincoln Memorial, that speech that he gave, that, that masterful right. oratory about his dream, and I look at what, what people fought for and, and voting rights and desegregation, and I'm, I, I wonder <clears throat> how the older people like myself in the inner city, in the black communities, who fought with Dr. King, how they really think about what's going on, how they must be thinking about when they hear that black students on campuses use that awful, awful word, segregate themselves. Um, I find it hard that the elders accept that on the behalf of the tribe. Well, I'm working with a black college right now in uh, in Baltimore, and uh, I think the uh, the so the uh, so-called elders are as appalled by that as we are, uh, and it's very. Uh, but you know the the, the whole. You have to you have to think of uh, when Barack Obama and Eric Withholder uh, were uh, in charge of the government and the laws. They were the ones that uh, they encouraged all of this uh, black Black Lives Matter yep. and yep. anti-police and the and the whole uh, the whole phenomenon. But but there's another factor that you and I have to also understand, and that is that. The, uh, the the white flight that, that occurred during the 50s, 60s, and 70s, uh, combined with the uh, Johnson Great Society of Welfare, combined to leave in the inner cities of the United States uh, conditions that are almost like a third world. There, in fact, if you look at Detroit, you really are looking at a third world. And what is Detroit is not atypical of, of large cities in the United States. And the kids that grow up without a father and without any kind of chance for success, with poor schools and and uh, mothers that are trying to uh, they're trying to support their families and have, but they have a different ch uh, child by a different father every two or three years yeah. because it's better for welfare. This, this is a whole different, uh, this breeds a whole different phenomenon. It's a whole different type of person that is involved in, uh, in this uh, racial dis uh, discussion. And that, that really, when Trump says to the, uh, to the black uh, inner cities, uh, what, have, what have you got to lose? You've, you've lost everything already by democratic rule. Uh, he, he's absolutely correct. If, if we could solve that problem, a lot of this anger and uh, and disruption that we're finding in the Black Lives Matter type of uh, uh, movement would dissipate. And uh, and that, frankly, is, is a major, major problem that we have in the United States. And, and we all have to understand that these people that come into power in, or came into power during the Obama administration, they were aware of, and they were uh, cultivating that kind of uh, that kind of uh, class distinction and, and hatred and and uh, resentment on the part of the uh, inner city uh, uh, youth. So I think I, that would be the way I would uh, I would attempt to uh, account for some of this. Doctor, how do you feel about the selection of 
Ben Carson as, as Secretary for Housing and Urban Development. I think it's the best damn thing that, that, that Trump did. Uh, ben, ben Carson comes from exactly that situation that I just described. Yep. And he, right. he transcended all of those obstacles. Mainly his mother helped him. Uh, and he became a world-famous a world famous surgeon, not, not an orator or a, uh, a politician. Politician. Somebody who does something extremely difficult and, and extremely uh, dominated by uh, by white people and uh, and for so for him to he is I, the ideal person to uh, to understand the problem and seek uh, seek, seek solutions I'm a big I'm a big uh, I, I like Ben I, I I've been I've been a, fortunate enough to uh, get to know him a little bit better and everything that that uh, he appears to be on the uh, uh, in public is exactly the way he is in private. Uh, May I make a suggestion? <laughs> I- IQ, jump in there, my friend. I have a solution, a very short and quick solution to the problems. Instigate or start conscription, men and women for one year. Talk about the mil- melting pot, it will be the best thing that happens to youth of America. Look what happens. I'll give you an example. Israel has 70 people from 70 nations with 70 languages. They would never have been assimilated had it not been for the armed forces. No chance in hell. And they did. And not only are they trained for discipline, not only trained to kill or not to kill, but they are trained in leadership. They are trained to be brothers in arms. They will support each other. Uh, Christians, Muslims, Bedhis, they will get to know each other, will get to know each other at close quarters, they will try to understand each other's culture. It's an idea, but I honestly am going to have an article to be printed, hopefully on the internet. Conscription will solve a lot of problems. Discipline is what they need. What we have in America, what we have in Europe, generations of ch- young people who have absolutely no respect no respect for elders, no respect for the law, no respect for themselves. That's why. What do you think? Well, I, I, we had that, you know, for many years, and uh, until uh, the one of the fallouts of the Vietnam War was that we uh, we uh, eliminated uh, the draft. Um, uh, in in our in our case, we had. We had the draft, but unfortunately, or fortunately, uh, there were a lot of people that never got conscript, got conscripted, mainly because they were in school or because they were in uh, some kind of privileged uh, occupation. So, yeah. I think. But I, under I think IDF rule, maybe the, under you know, IDF maybe rule, the there is no, there is no uh, way you can get out of it. None. You have to serve. Full stop. It doesn't matter if you're black, white, uh, high class, low class, irrelevant. You finish age 17, 18, whatever it is, you spend one year, you are trained, men and women, and that's it. And, not, and it's not for war purposes. It's for discipline purposes. It's for leadership purposes. It's for brotherhood and sisterhood purposes. Well, you know, I honestly believe it's an excellent idea, but not because I said it, but it <laughs> is. No, no, I, I want you well, to think about it. All I'm saying is think about it. I, th- I, think it was, I, I think it's uh, it's a good idea in theory, but I I, I must admit I, I cannot see uh, that ever actually happening unless we have a war. Um, but doctor, I, but, but doctor, take what IQ is saying and take it back in history. Look what happened after the depression. We we built the the CCC camps, and we built the places where people left. They're stricken poverty. They went to work in public works products projects. They lived a military lifestyle. They had order and discipline, and they built things, and they made things better. We got 95.5 million people in this country who are either out of work or underemployed. The idea of having to give a year or two of service to your country um, doesn't necessarily mean you have it. to go to the army to war, but what IQ is suggesting is put in put in a time, let the the order, structure, and discipline of the military 
make you a better person, a more controlled or more thoughtful, an ability to work with different people of different cultures and different races. I mean, I think it's a terrific idea. Not that we're drafting people for war. It's that we're putting people back to work to help rebuild America and rebuild themselves. The honor, to, the honor and dignity of being an American. I think it's. I think it is a good idea. I'm just saying I can't see any possibility of it ever being implemented. We never know until you try, Doctor. Well, but, but Doctor, well, how are you going to let? You see, we we have just discussed it, and you said it yourself. The inner cities are full of young people, especially black people, unwed mothers with children. These people need leadership. These people need a father figure. They don't have any father figure. That's why they have no self-respect. That's why they have no respect for anybody else. And yet when they spend a year, that doesn't have to be two years, one year is more than enough. One year in the military, under control, with leadership, they will get to know also about how to repair things, how to uh, deal with electronics. Those people who can't read and write, their friends will teach them how to read and write. It becomes a brotherhood and a sisterhood. That's I, my opinion. I, I, have, I, have, I have nothing against the idea at all. I think it's a, great, a wonderful idea. Um, I, but I don't think it's going to happen, that's all. Somebody's got to suggest it. I can't suggest it. I'm not an American. <laughs> well, I, I'm not. I a, will. I'm not a, I'm not a senator. <laughs> no, no, honestly. It, it is because I've seen it happen. In Switzerland, they have the same, exactly the same. German. But all, mostly for, it's more for men. But in Israel, because they're surrounded with 400 million Muslims, they have no choice, men and women. Men for three years, women for two years. And women, most of them, they go into the electronics and into the intelligence services. Very few of them are in combat. But it's uh, literally, it is what made Israel what it is today. 70 languages, 70 traditions, blacks, yellow, white, make daughters, all of them are equal. And that's what should happen in America. Right. Well, as we well, wrap, I, go, go, I go ahead, that, doctor. I think that uh, uh, while that, uh, that is a wonderful idea, it works in Germany too, but uh, I think that it, it's, there is, a, there is a, uh, a movement that I do think that has a lot of momentum right now, and that is school choice. And I think if you, uh, if, you if you start putting getting government uh, government out of schools, and you put the uh, competition into the schooling, that you uh, in effect are going to get a much better product. And frankly, if uh, these kids that we're talking about had the had the uh, opportunity to learn good English and learn how to uh, operate in a uh, in American society in school. Uh, they would, in fact, that would go a long way toward trying to reintegrate them back into the uh, into the society. And I do think that this is one uh, one field that uh, that uh, Donald Trump is uh, has advocated. Betsy Voss has been a uh, champion of this uh, idea for years. And uh, if we can make that happen. Uh, I think that uh, we will actually have, I think it has a chance of happening, and in fact, it's, uh, it's going to be fought by the, by the school, uh, the uh, teacher unions, tooth, tooth and nail, but nevertheless, right. uh, it is a very hopeful sign, I believe. Well, as we okay. wrap up here, um, I want to I want to go around. I want to start with Dan. Uh, how do we get a hold of you online, and uh, also give us some uh, updates on the uh, on the nonprofit that you uh, head up as well? The foundation is called Songs and Stories for Soldiers. We're dealing the at the area of post traumatic stress disorder, sleep deprivation, and suicide. We are now in fifty three institutions across the United States. We have over ten thousand players distributed, and we get thirty thousand website hits a month uh we're just just ecstatic uh with the success this year we look more to more in 2017 peter the little irish seal my latest book is doing well uh there's a special offer there are just a few left 
uh, on the website, danperkins.guru, where you can buy the book in hard copy and get a plush seal, and 10% of your purchase price will be donated to Songs and Stories for Soldiers. And that book website is danperkins.guru. I wish you, Jim, and IQ, and the doctor a wonderful and successful 2017. And to all of America and the world. (laughs) <laughs> yes, indeed. Now, uh, now, IQ. If uh, if if people want to get a hold of you, how exactly do they do that? As usual, Google Al Rasuli, A L R A S S O O L I. Have a great day. <laughs> Thank you, gentlemen. I appreciate it. And uh, Doctor, before we let you go, uh, how do we get a hold of you? Uh, Washington Times Online. We get you through Twitter. Um, what is your Twitter handle, my friend, so people can follow you? Uh, just uh, hashtag Lawrence Fidewa, L-A-W-R-E-N-C-E. And then the last name is a little difficult. F is in Frank, E, D is in David, E-W-A. Fantastic. And I wish uh, everybody a uh, new year and new hope. Yes, yes, for sure. And, uh, uh, Doctor, I appreciate you making time today. I definitely will be in touch with you because I would love to have you back on. It was a very insightful conversation. Thank you, my friend. Well, thank you, gentlemen. I appreciate it. And have yourself a wonderful, wonderful New Year's, my friend. That, of course, was Dr. Lawrence Fidewa, and uh, that is that. It is the world-famous Cheeky Chaguar Radio Broadcast, and uh, here is this. Lucky Land Casino, asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car, before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.